Well, friends, our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to chapter 2. You can look in your bulletin on page 6. I actually am going to just slightly expand the passage and begin the reading in verse 3. I think the bulletin might say verse 5, but I'm going to start at the beginning of verse 3. Paul is quoting clearly some sort of uh, poem that either he wrote or someone else wrote about Jesus. It's a hymn almost that probably the early church sung. And so let's hear what he has to say about Jesus as we read God's word. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. People of God, this is the word of the Lord. So we're continuing in this series that we've been in. Um, called We Believe. It's a study on the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, you might be asking right now, like, why would we continue to do this series on this dusty old creed? I mean, shouldn't we, in this, in the light of all this anxiety, in the light of the fear and the uncertainty that we're living under, shouldn't we maybe shift to a more practical sermon series on managing anxiety or uh, techniques to to handle fear? Well, I want to suggest to you that actually right now, in the moment that we're living in as a society and as a planet, it's actually the very best time to be looking at this ancient old creed. Uh, What we need most in these times of uncertainty is to know and meditate on the big truths about what we believe, about God, uh, about the meaning of life, uh, about ourselves, about history and the direction of the future that all of this is heading. Uh, what we need most is to remember these deep truths that Christians have affirmed throughout many, many centuries. I don't know if you've ever been hiking before in the mountains, uh, maybe on a really difficult hike where you're walking through um, creek beds and you're walking up and down and windy switchbacks back and forth and, and you're getting tired and, and wondering when you're going to get there and wondering if it's all worth it and maybe feeling like giving up. And then finally, uh, you get to the top of the mountain. You get to the view. You get to to the final destination. And and you look down, and suddenly you have perspective. Uh, You can see with great clarity what all those windy switchbacks and all that up and down uh, traveling was, was ultimately moving towards. You have a clear perspective. You see the big picture 
of where you were going all along. And, and a lot, that's a lot like what we're doing together right now, is that knowing the big picture, knowing the big perspective on God, our lives, history, the past and the future, gives us great clarity and perspective and perseverance for the windy switchbacks and the ups and downs of the moment that we find ourselves in right now. What you believe about God and about the life and the future makes all the difference in how you handle this moment. Do you believe that Jesus really is the son of God? Do you really believe that God came into the world in the person of Jesus to take our suffering upon himself, to die our death, to rise from the dead? That Do you believe that Jesus really is right now reigning over history and that he promises to one day come to renew all things? Do you believe it? If not, well, you better find some other resources to be able to help you navigate through the great uncertainties that we are all facing together. But if you do, oh my gosh. I mean, what comfort, what strength, uh, what, what resources it gives you to, to suffer well, to deal with uncertainty, to, to prioritize the right things. If it's really true, what we're saying in this creed, it gives you all you need to make it through the journey because we're, we can see the whole mountain. We know where all this is heading. So that's why in moments like this, it's important for us to actually meditate deeply on what we believe about the triune God uh, and to do this together. All our troubles are put in perspective by remembering God and his great love for us. So today we come to the second section of the creed. We've been saying that the creed is broken up into three sections and the three parts of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And today uh, we come to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the Son. And in some ways, this phrase, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, uh, is the, the centerpiece, the hub that the entire rest of the creed orbits around, that everything hangs on. In fact, Karl Barth, the great theologian, said that this middle section is the fountain of light by which the other parts of the creed are lit. And I love that because what he's saying is the entire creed hangs on whether this single phrase is true. If Jesus Christ is not the Son of God, if he is not the Lord, uh, then nothing else in the creed is true. Then God is not our Father. Uh, then the Spirit is not with us. Uh, then we have no certainty about our past or our future. Um, everything in the whole creed hangs on the truth of this single phrase. At the center of the Christian faith, at the center of the creed, is not an idea, is not a set of doctrines, is not a worldview, but a singular person. This one man, Jesus. Our entire vision of reality and the entire truth of our existence hangs on the identity of this single man. Jesus Christ is only son, our Lord. So here's what I want to do. I want to just walk through um, what this phrase says about Jesus. It says he's the Christ. It says he's the only son. And it says he's the Lord. So let's look at each of those phrases, what it tells us about Jesus. And then the resources that it gives us for what we need in this uncertain moment. So first, the creed says Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Christ. And this really speaks to the mission of Jesus. You know, we often, when we talk about Jesus, we say Jesus Christ. Um, sometimes, as you can see in verse 5 of our text, Paul calls him Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ, sometimes it's Christ Jesus. What that tells us is that Christ is not Jesus' last name, um, as some people might think, it's actually a title. Uh, it's a designation. Christ, I'm just going to 
I'm going to do a little more interaction today because I want, especially if you little ones are watching, I want you to try to pay attention, okay? Um, so Christ is actually a Greek word that simply means anointed one, anointed one. In the Hebrew, it was the same word was this, Messiah. Christ means anointed one or Messiah. And in some ways, the whole Old Testament uh, is a story about the promise of a coming Christ. If you know the story of the Bible, you'll know that it begins great. It begins with a world of beauty and justice and love, a world of uh, peace and beauty and a world without death, a world where the coronavirus uh, does not exist and does not ravage human life. Uh, but very quickly in the story, evil and sin enters into the world and begins to bring destruction on the earth. It, it tears apart, it shatters the beautiful world that God made and that God intended. But God does not give up on our world. And so very early on, even in the book of Genesis, Genesis 12, God makes a promise. He makes a promise that he would raise up an anointed one, a Christ or a Messiah, which basically means a hero, a person who would come and, and restore the world, redeem creation, take the shattered parts of our planet and put them back together again as God intends. And so it's very striking that in one of the very first things that Jesus does, when Jesus is a young man, he starts his public ministry, he's about 30 years old, and it's his turn to preach at the local synagogue. And so he goes into the temple and he picks up the scroll of the Old Testament and he begins to, he finds in the scroll, he reads one of the most famous predictions about the Christ. He, he begins to read from Isaiah uh, 61. So he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. That's that word Christ. He's anointed me, the anointed one, uh, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to comfort all who mourn, and to announce the day of the Lord's liberation. He reads the whole passage. He reads the whole uh, passage of Isaiah 61. He puts down the Bible and then he stands up to preach. Well, he actually sat down to preach because that's what they did back then. He sat down to preach and he said, today this Bible passage is fulfilled with me. In other words, you want to know what this means? Check me out. Here I am. Now, if you're ever in church and a preacher does that, if a preacher ever reads a Bible passage and says, if you want to know that this Bible passage is about, look at me, you should run. You should run away. <laughs> if I ever do that, you should fire me. Um, because only an egotistical maniac would do that unless it's true. And so when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, we're saying, we believe it's true. We believe that this man that was born in the Middle East in the first century, we believe that this man is Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the one that God promised would come and heal the world and restore all things. We believe that Jesus is the hope of our world. So friends, in this time of uncertainty, it's just a fresh opportunity for us to claim Jesus is our only hope. You know, it was that case uh, back in January. He was our hope. 
But how much more relevant does it feel right now that Jesus is our only hope? More than ever, we know that the main problem in our lives is not a lack of information, is not uh, a need for more technology, uh, is not a need for better government. I mean, we need all those things. All those things are good. But deep down, what we see now is that our biggest problem is sin and death itself. Our world is shattered. What our world needs is rescue. And Jesus is the Christ. He's the hero. He's the one who God has sent to restore and save the world and save creation. So that's what we're saying uh, when we say Jesus is Christ. We're saying he is the promised one and his mission is to save the world. Okay, Jesus is the Christ. Second, though, we say Jesus is God's only son. He's God's only son. Now, if Christ describes Jesus' mission, then only son describes his identity. His identity. It, it shows us that he has power to do what he said he will do because he is God's son. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, Paul says, Jesus, being in very nature, God. That's a very powerful and potent phrase. It means that Jesus actually shares God's nature. We're not saying that Jesus is a special person or a a very spiritual person. We're saying that Jesus actually is divine, that he shares in God's nature. He's a part of the Holy Trinity and that he has been a part of God ever since the beginning of all things for forever, forever and ever. I've always loved the way that the writer of Hebrews described Jesus. And I actually have this verse up for you on the screen because I think it's such an important verse. He says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact imprint of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. I love that phrase, the exact imprint of his being. Look, I did this um, last night. Can you see this very well? It's an it's a it's an imprint of my of my finger. This is my this is an actual imprint of my finger. I enlarged it um, so that you can see it. This is not a piece of art. Uh, it's not a symbol. This is the exact imprint of my finger. And and what this is to my finger, Jesus is to the everlasting Creator God. He is the exact imprint of God himself. We're not saying he's like God or in some ways he represents God. No, he is the exact imprint, the exact image of God that when we see Jesus, we see God in all of God's love, in all of God's power. You know, to me, this is very comforting for us in this moment. Um, You know, the people of the early New Testament were also living in pretty uncertain times. They were in danger of uh, persecution and uh, famine, uh, danger. Many of them were being killed. They didn't know what tomorrow would hold. And, and perhaps they were wondering, you know, where is God in all of this? How do I know? How do I know that God really loves me? How, how do I know that God is really out there, that God really cares for me? And, it, and I, I love what the writer of Hebrews is saying because it's like he's saying, you know, I know that it's hard to get your mind around God And I know that it's hard to understand and believe sometimes that he really loves you and that he's really there. How can you picture him? How do you know that he cares for you? But he's saying, look at Jesus. Because when you see Jesus, you see an exact imprint of the God of the universe. You want to know what God is like? You want to know that he's near? 
You want to know that he loves you? You want to know that he cares about you? You know what? That he, you want to know that he cares for suffering and scared people? Well, look at Jesus. Because when you see Jesus in all of his love and all of his compassion and all of his kindness, you can know that this is what God is really like for you. As John said, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. He's the exact imprint. So I want to encourage you in this day, in these times of anxiety, uh, to spend a lot of time looking at Jesus. Spend a lot of time being with Jesus. Spend a lot of time reading stories about Jesus from the Gospels, reflecting on Jesus and his love. This week, my family and I read the story of Jesus in Mark 5, healing the bleeding woman and raising Jairus' 12-year-old daughter from the dead. When we read that story, we, we heard about, we saw Jesus' love and compassion, his concern for people who are suffering and who are afraid. And it reminded us that as we see Jesus, we see God. God is, Jesus is for us. God is for us. God loves us. God is with us in this. He is not just the Messiah who's come to save, but he has the power to save because he is God in the flesh. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. Finally, we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. This tells us about Jesus's authority. Okay, one of the, the earliest uh, Christian creeds, even before the Apostles' Creed, was just a simple phrase, Jesus is Lord. That was the earliest Christian creed that we know of. And it, it, was, a, it was a dangerous creed. People got killed for saying that. Uh, what does it mean? Well, um, just for some context, the Old Testament, when it was originally written, it was in Hebrew. But later, in order to help people have access to it, it was translated into Greek. That's called the Septuagint. When they were writing out the translation, uh, they didn't really know, the translators didn't really know what to do when they came to the word for God. You know, the, the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish folks were, had such a high view of God, such a holy view of God, that they did not believe they were even able to utter God's name. And so in the Old Testament, the way that the Hebrew was written is that every time it came to the word God or his name, they would write these letters for Yahweh, the impronounceable name for God, Yahweh. So when they were translating the Old Testament, they didn't know what to do. What do we do with this word? How do we translate this word into Greek? What word should we use for it? So the word they chose to use for it is the word kurios, which means Lord. So every time it says Yahweh in the Hebrew, it now said Lord in the Greek. So they, that's how they associated, that's what the name they associated with the name of God. So here's what's amazing about this. Paul here in Philippians 2 and all the other early Christians took this title, Kurios, and they gave it to Jesus. Philippians 2 verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is kurios to the glory of God the Father. Wow, I mean, it is impossible. It was impossible for them to find any name that was higher, greater, more exalted, more supreme than this name, kurios. It means Jesus Christ is Lord. 
equal to Yahweh, the God of the heaven and earth. He is the king. He is the one before whom all people will bow. He, to him is owed all worship, all honor, all glory, all majesty, all adoration are given now to him. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus is Lord. This defines us, reality, and what we believe. But here's what I want to ask. How does believing that, how does believing that Jesus is Lord change the way that we handle this present moment? You know, the famous uh, 20th century theologian Reinhold Niebuhr said that it's the job of the preacher to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. Uh, So uh, let me just try to do that a little bit now Um, because I think the lordship of Jesus is both a challenge and a comfort. A challenge and a comfort. So first, the challenge of Jesus' lordship. You know, I've said it this week a couple times, and I'm going to keep saying it, friends, that John says perfect love drives out fear, and what we see in this moment is that perfect fear drives out love. That moments of panic and anxiety uh, and systemic fear reverts human beings to a core disposition of self-preservation. Uh, This is what we're all going to be tempted to do in the coming days. Things may get worse, and our temptation again and again is going to be to protect. To protect me and my own. Protect my money. Protect my resources. Protect my safety. We become selfish in the face of fear. If you have Jesus as your Lord, that is not a possibility for you. Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. He's our king. That means He calls us to obedience. He calls us to surrender. He calls us to total submission to him. We don't call the shots for our lives anymore. Jesus does. Because he's our Lord, he's our master, and we listen and we obey him. And what is Jesus calling us to do? What does it mean to obey Jesus in these days of fear? Well, well look, it says right here in our text. It says, have the same mind as Christ Jesus who did not consider his privilege to be something to be possessed, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He, we, we worship a kurios who did not protect his life, but he lost his life. He gave everything away. He put others before himself. He lived for love. He lived for you. He lived for the world. And so Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, friends, he is calling you to that same hard way of not self-preservation, but self-giving love in this season of fear. You know, I'm 42. Uh, I'm pretty healthy. I know that um, I'm probably not under um, particular grave threat of the coronavirus. Listen, if I get bored of this social distancing stuff and I just decide I'm going I'm to stop following the protocols, I'm going to go out and do whatever I want to do, I'm going to stop washing my hands, um, I'm going I'm to just sort of ignore what the public health officials are telling us to do right now, I mean, I probably won't die. I'll I'll probably be okay. And and if I'm my own Lord and all I care about is myself right now, why bother with all this? I mean, why not just use all of this extra time for myself? Why not just binge watch all the movies that I've always wanted to watch? Uh, Why not just spend all my money on myself? Why not just use all my resources for myself and my own family? Why? I can't do that. Because Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. And Jesus is your Lord. And your master. And therefore he calls us to obey him. And go the way of Jesus. 
Self-giving love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So I'm called uh, to not think of myself, but to think of my friend who has asthma, uh, you know, my neighbor uh, who has diabetes, um, my, my relatives who have cancer or heart conditions. I'm called to remember the people who've lost their jobs this week. I'm called to, to live for, for the people, the, the, the working parents who are scrambling to find childcare, the kids who are stuck in the foster system and are going to be probably stuck there because of this crisis for a, a really long time. You know, th- th- thinking of the elderly people who are, who are scared and afraid. Because Jesus is our Lord, we cannot live for ourselves right now. We're called to live for others, to live for the world. And to obey Jesus means to give up our lives for the sake of others. Now, this will not be glamorous. If you do this, this is not going to make headlines. You're not going to get in the newspaper for this. You're probably not going to go viral on, on uh, TikTok if you do this. So I'm telling you, but as we're stuck in our homes, uh, feeling like we're going to go crazy sometimes, here's the good news. You have hundreds of opportunities every week to go the small, self-giving, sacrificial way of Jesus. Uh, you have uh, so many opportunities to obey Jesus, to make little sacrifices. Every time you scrub your hands, every time you wipe down a doorknob or wipe down countertops, you can do it for Jesus. Um, every time you, you check on a, a neighbor or an elderly person in your parish, you do that for Jesus. Every time you ask your spouse how they're doing or, or offer to take the kids for a walk to give them some rest, or every time you disengage from your phone to engage with the children in your household or to pay attention to the neighbors on your block, every t- you do these things for Jesus. As Jesus said, everything you do, even for the least of these, you do them for me. So let's do small things with great love uh, in this season. Let's not, because Jesus is our Lord, we cannot self-preserve. We must give ourselves away. That's the challenge. Finally, though, what's, what's the comfort of his lordship? Well, the comfort is amazing. I mean, this has been such a hard week for, for so many of us. And, and let's just be frank, uh, it's probably going to get harder. Um, I've talked to people this week, even in our church, who've lost their jobs, who've lost their health insurance, um, who've lost a whole lot of money who've lost a lot of business, um, who have lost dreams. Uh, I've talked to seniors in high school who've lost everything that they were hoping for in these last few months of school. Um, I, I, certainly, I've talked to a lot of people who've lost their sanity <laughs> uh, and lost their patience. I mean, this has been a lot. This has been a week of severe collective loss. And we just have to grieve that. We have to sit in that pain. It is it's a biblical thing to lament and to cry out in the face of all this loss. And we don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, we, we don't know when, when things are going to change. We don't know what is going to be the collective impact on all of this loss on our society and our world in the coming days. But here's the good news. Because Jesus is Lord, we know the ultimate shape of the curve. We've, we've heard a lot about curves this week. We've, we've all been exhorted to practice social distancing to flatten the curve. And that's why we're doing church this way right now, because we want to extend that curve out so as not to uh, crash our healthcare system right now um, and to cause a flood of, of patients in, the, in our hospital system. But I want to remind you of another curve that we often talk about it at, at 3rd. Um, it's, it's, uh, do you remember this one? 
the J-curve. You remember that? Uh, coined by our friend Paul Miller. Uh, did you notice that in the, in the text this morning, it has, a, it has a shape to it. It has a curve. Listen, it said, Jesus, though in the very nature God, so he was exalted into the highest place, humbled himself, went low into obedience and even death, and God has exalted him to the highest place so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Paul is saying, this is the shape of the universe. This is the shape of history. This is the shape of reality. Resurrection will always follow crucifixion. Joy will always follow sorrow. Victory will always follow death. This is the shape of history. And this is the way for all those who claim Jesus as Lord. We are in a rare global moment right now where we are all collectively down here. The whole world. We're all down at the bottom and we're feeling that acutely. Suffering is real. Losses are great. I am not making light of these tremendous losses and confusion and anxiety that we are living with right now. And yet, because Jesus is Lord, we're always moving up and to the right. Because Jesus is Lord, he's Lord over history, the world is always moving in the direction of resurrection. Connected to Jesus, we are always moving up towards resurrection and joy with him. Now, the hard thing is, we don't know how long we're going to be down here. We don't know how long we'll be at the bottom of the curve. You don't know exactly where you are in the story or in the curve. You don't know when resurrection will come. You don't know when joy will happen. You don't know what shape this is going to take in your life. You don't know the impact. You don't know when or if ever you will see how these trials and tribulations will make sense. Resurrection is God's work. It's not ours. All this is in his timing, not ours. Yet knowing that this is the curve gives us perseverance and hope to endure. You know, here's an illustration. Um, how terrible that the NCAA tournament was canceled. Uh, March Madness is now March Sadness. Uh, what, a, what a tragedy. But here's a piece of good news. You might not know this. This afternoon at 2 o'clock, CBS is going to replay the championship game from last year when UVA played Texas Tech, right? Now, last year when I watched that game, it was horrible. Why? Because UVA wins by the scrappiness of their, you know, by the, chin, the hair of their chins every game. You know, they only win in the last three seconds and you're just biting your nails. It's, it's it, you know, you get an ulcer watching them. But you know what? I'm going to watch this afternoon at two o'clock and it's, it's going to be amazing. I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to relax. And when they're losing, uh, I'm just going to feel totally at peace. Why? Because <laughs> I know the way it ends. I know the way it ends. And friends, this is the situation that we can be in now because Jesus is Lord. Uh, we, we can face this with courage and hardship. We can face this with perseverance and hope. Why? Because we know the way it ends. And not only that, we know the one who holds history. We know the one who holds life and death, who holds the world, who holds you. You belong to Jesus the Lord. He is with you in this. And right now, he is redeeming history. He is advancing his kingdom. He is renewing all things right now. 
right now. He's with you. So do you see, do you see the mountain? Are you seeing the mountain? Are you seeing all of this with greater clarity? Jesus is the Christ. He's the hero who's come to save. He is God's only son. When we see him, we see that God is for us and that God is with us. And he is the Lord. He calls us to obey him, to go his way of self-giving love. And he promises that with him, he will bring us to resurrection joy. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna confess the Apostles' Creed together. This is amazing that this is the very creed that Christians have confessed together throughout the centuries through every hardship imaginable. Plagues, pandemics, natural disasters, world wars, financial crises, personal crises. For 2,000 years, Christians have bound together to recite these great truths of the triune God in the face of disaster. So I want to invite you, as awkward as it might feel, to stand up with me right now, right where you are, <laughs> and, and let's, let's say together these great truths of our faith. You can find it on page six, or it'll be on the screen. Christians, what is it that you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can confess these great, powerful truths with each other all over the city and all over the world today, that you give us a, a clear perspective on reality as we remember that Jesus is Lord. We pray this in his name. Amen.